Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. You may be able to fool other people about your faith. You may even be able to fool yourself about your relationship with God. But you can't fool God. There is a time of judgment coming when genuine believers will be separated from phony believers. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor Dr. Robert Jeffers. Some people think that growing up in a Christian house or going to church around the holidays automatically makes them Christian. But as we read in Scripture, being a genuine follower of Jesus entails so much more. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress explores the difference between real and false belief. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Let me begin today with a question. Do you ever get tired of hearing about someone who's fallen away from their faith? Do you feel bothered when you hear about a friend who's been exposed for leading a double life? Well, in a moment, we'll turn to Matthew chapter 13, in which Jesus teaches us how to spot a phony believer. You might be surprised by his unfiltered candor. But before we give our complete attention to this insight from Jesus— Let me take a moment to highlight an exciting development at Pathway to Victory. I'm referring to the matching challenge that's active right now. The primary goal is to motivate loyal listeners like you to step forward with a generous gift before July 4th. And our special friends to Pathway to Victory have said they'll match every single gift dollar for dollar. That means you have an opportunity to double the impact of your giving this month. Now, when you give to the Matching Challenge, I'll be saying thank you by providing a brand new book I've written for the child in your life. It's called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. You won't find this book anywhere other than through Pathway to Victory. In this fully and colorfully illustrated book, I share 10 easy Bible lessons for children straight from the parables of Jesus himself so that your children do not fall away from their faith in the future. I'll say more later on, but now that I've whetted your appetite, let's focus our attention on Matthew chapter 13, in which Jesus shared a hard-hitting parable that packed a wallop. I've titled today's message, How to Spot a Phony. Oprah Winfrey is perhaps the most influential woman on planet Earth. Her wealth is measured in terms of billions of dollars. Her television program is seen by over 10 million people a day all over the world. And she regularly appears on the most admired women's listings around the country. Oprah Winfrey also claims to be a Christian. But her teachings are anything but Christian. She described her spiritual journey this way on a program, quote, I took God out of the box because I grew up in a Baptist church and there were, you know, rules and, you know, belief systems indoctrinated. And I happened to be sitting in church one day in my late 20s. And this great minister was preaching about how great God was and how omniscient and omnipresent and God is everything. And then he said, The Lord thy God is a jealous God. 
And I was, you know, caught up in the rapture of that moment until he said jealous. And something struck me. I was thinking God is all, God is omniscient and omnipresent, and God's also jealous. God is jealous of me. And something about that didn't feel right in my spirit because I believe that God is love and that God is in all things. And so that's when the search for something more than doctrine started to stir within me. Oprah's rejection of doctrine, her rejection of biblical truth, has led her to create a God of her own imagination. And it has led her now into the presence of a man named Eckhart Tolle, a man who has written a best-selling book entitled A New Earth, a book that Oprah is pushing hard on her telecast, if you've seen them recently. She also sponsored a web seminar with Eckhart Tolle that was seen by over 2 million people in 139 countries. The book, A New Earth, makes frequent references to Jesus Christ. The book quotes the Bible extensively, but it contradicts the Bible in some essential points. For example, contrary to what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are born spiritually dead and separated from God, Eckhart Tolle says we are merely spiritually unconscious and unaware of our connection to God. As far as Jesus goes... Tolly says Jesus was no more God than you and I are God. What was different about Jesus was he was just more aware of his connection to the one life force than we are. What about heaven? To Eckhart Tolle, it's all in the mind. He says, quote, heaven is not a location, but it refers to the inner realm of consciousness. In complete contradiction of what Jesus said when he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you unto myself. What is salvation? According to Tolley, it is, quote, finding the goodness that is already within you and allowing that goodness to emerge. And what about the essence of the Christian message? That Jesus Christ, the unique Son of God, came to die on the cross for our sins. That's all symbolic, according to Tolley. Quote, the man on the cross is an archetypal image. He is every man and every woman. Well, what about Jesus' claim that he alone was the way to God? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Tolly responds, all religions are equally false and equally true, depending on how you use them. If you believe only your religion is the truth, You are using it in the service of ego. Oprah Runfrey has now become a convert of Eckhart Tolle, and she has rejected the claim that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. She said, and I quote, I started to recognize that Jesus didn't come in my belief, even as a Christian. I don't believe that Jesus came to start Christianity, so that was also very helpful to me. Well, I am a Christian who believes that there are certainly many more paths to God other than Christianity. Oprah Winfrey has not only embraced the teaching of Eckhart Tolle herself, she believes her life message is to promote this message to other people. 
Oprah said, quote, I really do believe I was born to be a vehicle for this information to come to all of you. End of quote. Now, I cannot say for certain whether or not Oprah Winfrey is a Christian. That is between her and God. But what I can say with absolute certainty is that Oprah Winfrey is being used to lead people away from the truth of Jesus Christ into an eternity of separation from God in hell. How does such a thing happen? How is it that somebody who talks like a Christian, who appears to embrace some of the values of a Christian, how is it that they can be used by Satan to accomplish his purpose here on the earth? We're going to discover the answer to that question in the parable we're going to look at today. Jesus said the world is filled with phony Christians. People who talk like Christians, they profess to be believers, they come to church, they serve as Sunday school teachers, deacons, and even pastors. But even though they appear to be Christians, in the final judgment, they will be separated from true believers and they will spend eternity in hell alongside the most vile and hardened criminals. Do you find that difficult to believe? If so, consider the parable of the wheat and the tares. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 13 as we discover how to spot a phony Christian. Matthew chapter 13. The last time we begin this series on the parables. Remember the definition of a parable? You probably learned it as a child, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Well, that's what a parable is. A parable takes divine truth and it lays it alongside everyday experiences. Jesus loved to teach truth through parables. Last time we saw the first parable in Matthew 13 about the kingdom of God. It was the parable of the soils and explains why it is that everyone who receives the gospel doesn't embrace the gospel. It all has to do with the condition of the human heart. And now beginning in verse 24, Jesus is going to share another aspect of the kingdom of God. And that is not everyone who appears to be a Christian is in fact a genuine believer. Look at the parable in verse 24. Jesus presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and he went away. Now this seems strange to us because we don't live in an agricultural society like Jesus did. But his disciples understood the story. It was very common in Jesus' day for someone, if they wanted to get even with somebody else, if they had an enemy, they would go into their field and they would plant tares. They would plant weeds in that person's field. In fact, this word tear in your King James Version is really an unfortunate translation. The word actually refers to the darnel seed. It was a rye poisonous grass that in many ways looked like genuine wheat. It would grow alongside the wheat. But when it finally came to fruition, it had no fruit in it. It was empty. And not only that, the weeds of the darnel seed would strangle out the growth of the genuine wheat that would produce fruit. And so if you wanted to get even with an enemy, you would plant this rye poisonous grass in the field of your enemy. In fact, it was such a common practice that the Romans had a law against doing such a thing. 
So anyway, Jesus said this is what happened to this particular man. Verse 26, but when the wheat sprang up and it bore grain, then the tares became evident also. How did the tares become evident? Because when they sprang up, as much as they appeared to be genuine wheat, they had no fruit. They had no grain. Verse 27, and the slaves of the landowner came and they said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares, this fake wheat? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slaves said, Do you want us then to go out and gather them up? Look at verse 29, but the master said, No, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. The danger of pulling up this fake wheat was twofold. First of all, the slaves could make a mistake and accidentally mistake genuine wheat for fake wheat or fake wheat for genuine wheat. And not only that, the roots had become so entangled with the genuine wheat that if you tried to pull up the fake wheat, the fake tares, you might accidentally uproot that which was genuine So in verse 30, the master said, instead, allow both to grow together until harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. He wasn't saying don't ever try to separate the tares from the wheat. He said, wait until the right time when you can easily distinguish between the two. Then you can gather the tares and burn them, and the wheat will be gathered into my barn. Now, Jesus told two other stories, one about the mustard seed in verse 31 and 32, one about the leaven in verse 33. But the one the disciples wanted to know about was this one about the wheat and the tares. Look at verse 36. Then he left the multitudes to whom he had told the story, went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Lord, explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. Why did they want to know about this one? Because it was the most disturbing of all of Jesus' story. It's a story that reminds us you may be able to fool other people about your faith. You may even be able to fool yourself about your relationship with God. But you can't fool God. There is a time of judgment coming when genuine believers will be separated from phony believers. Tell us, Lord, what does this mean? Well, Jesus was only too happy to answer their request for an interpretation. And beginning in verse 37, he tells us what this parable means. Now, be sure you write these things down because they're Jesus' explanation of the parable. And he answered and he said to them, The one who sows the good seed, this is the Son of Man. Jesus is the sower. He is the one who plants the good seed into the ground. Verse 38, And the field is the world. The field represents the world. It's not just the church. It's the world that contains the church. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. The good seed represents genuine believers, genuine Christians. Now remember in the first parable, the seed represented the word of God, but here it represents genuine believers. And the tares, they are the sons of the evil one, verse 38 says. The tares represent unbelievers, are fake Christians. By the way, this idea of fake Christians living right alongside genuine Christians, that is nothing new. It has been happening since the beginning of Christianity. As I was preparing the message this week, 
I thought I would pull down Dr. Criswell's commentary on Matthew and see how he handled this passage. Dr. Criswell made a great point when he said, from the beginning of the faith, believers and unbelievers have lived right alongside one another. Even in Jesus' circle of the twelve, there was a tear. His name was Judas. He appeared to be a believer. He lived right alongside those disciples for three years, but he was a phony Christian. Among the 500 who saw the resurrected Lord, among them were some tares, some who doubted. Right alongside Paul, the greatest missionary who ever lived, there was a Demas, the man who forsook Paul because he loved the things of this world more than he loved the Lord. You look at the great creeds of the other early church, those great confessions of faith. Do you realize all of them were reactions against some heresy that had been begun by unbelievers in the early church? Since the beginning of the faith, we have seen believers and unbelievers side by side. That's what he's talking about here. Verse 39, the enemy who sowed the unbelievers is the devil. Satan is the enemy. Uh, Just like the enemy came into a land that was not his own and he planted these false uh, wheat, these tares. So this world really doesn't belong to Satan. It's God, but Satan is the great transgressor. He is the one who has come and tried to destroy what God is doing. The harvest, that represents the end of the age. The harvest equals the final judgment at the end of the age. That's at the end of the grace era that we're in right now. It's not at the raptures, we'll see in a moment. But when Christ returns at his second coming to set up his kingdom on the earth, that's when this judgment takes place. And notice also the reapers, the one who separate believers and unbelievers, are the angels. That's the meaning of the parable. Look, verse 40. Therefore... Just as the tares are gathered up and burned with the fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. For the Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. This is the judgment that will occur when Christ comes back to earth. Remember, when Christ returns at his second coming, it will be at the end of the great tribulation. And at the end of that seven-year tribulation, on the earth there will be some Christians who survived that tribulation. These will be men and women who were saved at the beginning of the tribulation. They persevered in their faith. They weren't martyred. They are alive when Christ returns. There are also unbelievers who will be alive at the end of the second coming. People who weren't destroyed by the plagues that God sent upon the earth. So when Christ comes back to earth to establish his kingdom, there has to be a judgment. Only true believers can enter into the kingdom of God here on earth. So this is when this great judgment is going to take place. Now I want you to hold your place here and turn over to Matthew chapter 24. Another reference to this judgment. I want to show you one of the most misinterpreted passages by Christians in all of the New Testament related to the second coming. It's in Matthew 24 beginning with verse 36. Christ has just detailed, beginning in verse 29, his coming to earth, his second coming, his visible return. Now, notice in verse 36 what he says. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Anybody who tells you 
they have found the secret to the Bible code or they have found the secret of Bible prophecy and can tell you when Christ is coming back again, write them off as a quack. Nobody knows when Christ is coming back again. Not even Jesus himself knows. It's reserved for God himself. That's what Jesus said. But when he does come, notice what it will be like. Verse 37, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Verse 39, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. Underline that phrase in your Bible, took them all away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, who got taken away by the flood, God's judgment? Believers or unbelievers? Unbelievers. The unbelievers were taken away by the flood. Now, here's where it gets interesting, verse 40. Then there shall be two men in the field. One will be, there's the same word, taken away, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken away and one will be left. Where is the woman at the mill taken? Where is the man in the field taken? To heaven? No. This isn't the rapture. This is the second coming. The ones that are taken are the unbelievers who are taken away into eternal judgment. That's what Jesus is describing here. The judgment that takes place when he comes, his second visible coming. Now go back for a moment to Matthew chapter 13. Let's see where these people are taken away to. What is their destination? Matthew chapter 13, beginning with verse 42. Talking about Christ, it says, And he will cast them into the furnace of fire, in that place where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is saying the eternal destiny of phony Christians is hell. Perhaps one of Jesus' most vivid descriptions of hell is found in a parable we'll look at in detail in the weeks ahead, Luke chapter 16. The story of the rich man and Lazarus. Remember, the rich man died and he went to hell, to Hades. Not because he was wealthy, but because he was self-sufficient. He could never bring himself to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation. And remember what Jesus said when that man shut his eyes on earth for the last time and awakened in hell. The Bible says, and in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, for I am in agony in these flames. It's clear that God has very little patience with counterfeit Christians. You can try to fake religion with other people, but you can never pull one over on God. Well, we have much more to discover in this parable from Jesus on how to spot a phony. And in a moment, David will explain how you can receive the complete set of messages from this series on Jesus' favorite stories. But first, I'm eager to tell you more about the matching challenge received by Pathway to Victory. A generous group of friends banded together to give Pathway to Victory a special gift. And that means because of their generosity, every dollar you give to support Pathway to Victory before the deadline of July 4th will automatically be doubled in size. 
No matter the size of your gift, your gift will have twice the impact because of this matching challenge. The darkness in our beloved country is great, but the hope of the gospel, the light of God's truth, is even greater and brighter. Please help me boldly share the good news with your neighbors and help me proclaim it to the world by giving generously to our matching challenge. And when you respond with a generous gift today, I'll express my gratitude by sending the new children's book I mentioned earlier. It's called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. I can't think of a better way to equip our children to face the darkness of this world than to teach them the abiding lessons found in the Bible. And in this fully illustrated children's book, we look at 10 of Jesus' parables that apply to kids. So be sure to get in touch with us today and request your copy of Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. Now, here's David with all the details. Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. The brand new children's book called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids is yours today when you give a generous gift to the ministry of Pathway to Victory. To make your request, call 866-999-2965 or online visit ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, we'll also include the complete unedited CD and DVD sets for this study on the parables, Jesus' Favorite Stories. Remember, because of the Gospel Advance Matching Challenge, your gift will be effectively doubled in impact by another generous donor. So request your copy of these resources today. Call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. If you'd prefer to write, let me give you that mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again Thursday for the conclusion of this message called How to Spot a Phony from Dr. Robert Jeffress here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.